you start to question your value. You start to question your self-worth. Like the more money you got, the more successful you are, and most people really do buy into that. But really, I just needed a break. What I love is helping people. I'm Julie Bauke, and welcome to The Evolved Career, a podcast where we help you determine what truly does matter most to you and how it can have a profound impact on your life. I'm excited to be joined by Paul Doherty, sports columnist and sports writer for the Cincinnati Inquirer, as well as for Gannett. He's a syndicated writer whose work appears in USA Today and in various other Gannett publications. He's also the author of An Uncomplicated Life, a father's memoir of his exceptional daughter. We're here today to talk about all that and maybe some other stuff. Welcome, Paul. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Well, we are thrilled to have you. You are the 2018 Ohio Sports Writer of the Year. I feel honored to be in your presence. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) So, longtime reader of your work. And what occurred to me as I was getting ready for this is we all have access to the same 26 letters in our alphabet. It's how we assemble them into words and then assemble those words that drives our influence and our impact. And you are a beautiful assembler of letters. Thank you. And that is uh, something that I think there's a lot of people who read your stuff who think, yeah, yeah, that, what he said. <laughs> um, but left to their own devices, they could never come up with it in a way that you did. Um, when I was 10, I wrote a story about four sisters who competed in a beauty pageant. It was filled with intrigue, drama, jealousy, mean girls. I'm sure you've never written anything as compelling as that. What do you remember to be the first thing you ever wrote? <laughs> Boy, I... I remember in about fifth grade, the, 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 the teacher asked us to write about our favorite meal. Oh. Believe it or not. For and a fifth grade boy, that's... Yeah. Your, give us your favorite meal. And I think I went with steak and iced tea. Okay. So there you go. You know, from such humble beginnings doth greatness flow, right? Did you get an A? I don't remember. I think I got a check mark or a very good, right? When and who did someone first recognize that you were a better than average writer? I I don't know. I haven't had a lot of people do that over the years, you know, um, except people that hired me, fortunately. Uh, probably high school, you know. I was the proverbial sports editor of the high school newspaper, and I, I wrote things that were a little different. Than from what everybody else was writing. And she essentially said, well, you got a future in this business, kid. And I, at the time, I'm 16, and all I could think about was Friday night. So it didn't make much of an impression on me at the time. Yeah, I don't think we think too much about the future when in our careers when we're in high school, as much as our parents want us to. Right. And as much as people say, what do you want to be when you grow up? We come up with some pat answer and hope that shuts up the adult. And- well, I was lucky in, the, in that I fell into this, and it's really the only thing I can do, Julie. I mean, I'm serious. I, I, I am completely inept when it comes to all things mechanical. I can't fix things. Um, I can't build anything. I, I The only thing I can do is what I do, and I'm really glad that people think that I do it well enough that I can still make a living out of it. Yeah, I think that's that's a great point. You know, if you if we want our kids to grow up to be able to do something well and hope that it's something that they can support themselves themselves with. We get so caught up in it has to be something that matches our vision of what we think success is and what we think they ought to be doing. And sometimes it's stuff that we wish we would have done, so we push that down on our kids. And um, there, there's all kinds of ways 
to be successful in this world. And we, I think as parents, sometimes really do our kids a disservice by kind of pushing them in a certain direction. And, you know, they generally don't respond well to that. Uh, you know, one of the things, I, I read your book over the last several days, An Uncomplicated Life, Father's Memoir of His Exceptional Daughter about your daughter Jillian and your family. And um, it, it was an interesting, you were talking about your time, you know, your life as a sports writer. And it, it, one of your lines um, really struck me because when I read sports columns or sports writers, I often wonder about this. You said, you have to have the stomach to face the people you criticize. Mm-hmm. Did you have to develop that, or was that um, was that something you did well in high school? Well, I mean, I'm, in high school, I wasn't facing anybody that was really all that mad at me. Um, yeah, I mean, it's like any, it's any other like any other skill. It's it is a, a developed skill, but you learn quickly, especially when you write opinion that the people will that you cover will respect you a lot more if you show up after you've been critical of them. So I've always tried to make it a point of if, if I've been critical of a player, a coach, manager, what have you, to to be there the very next day if at all possible, you know. And, and players might not like what you write about them, but if they see that you're there, that that makes a difference. Any moments come to mind where it was uh, more than just slightly awkward? Oh, lots of moments, sure. Yeah. Um, uh, this is going way back. The Reds with, with the Nasty Boys back in 1990. One of the relief pitchers who was a nasty boy, uh, Randy Myers, mm-hmm. had all kinds of strange army surplus stuff in his locker. And it's an open locker. It's not like there's a door that he opens. It's, it's just there. And he had like a little G.I. Joe battery man that crawled across the clubhouse floor. He had uh, grenades with the pins out and just weird stuff. And I wrote about that one day and it, uh, uh, the stuff that was in his locker. And he came after me the next day, you know, my locker, my personal stuff. I'm like, okay, man, I'm sorry that you're mad. It wasn't a critical column. And in fact, it's wide open for anybody to see, and anybody could have written about it. I just happened to be the one. I mean, that that's just one instance. Yeah, and there are yeah. others when, where you there's a misunderstanding with the athlete. I had one with Eric Davis way back, and we got that one ironed out pretty quickly. And Eric Davis and I have been pretty good friends. I won't say I shouldn't say that we're we're pretty good acquaintances ever since. So. Sure, it's uncomfortable. Nobody likes to be criticized. And for me to say stuff like, well, it's not personal. Well, it is personal. Exactly. I don't mean it personally, but of course it's personal. I say to Dave Shula way back, you know, I don't mean to criticize you. It's not personal. It's business. And he says, tell that to my sons. I mean, I had young kids at the time and they were in public school. And every time I'd write something bad about their dad, they'd hear about it on the playground. And I've been very, very careful ever since. Of, of very mindful ever since of, of reining it in. Yeah, you know, picking my spots because of stuff like that. Um, so yeah, it, it is okay. personal to them. It's their life. Any column that you've written in retrospect, you regret or wish you could have a do-over on? Um, I hate to say no. I there, there have been a few. You know, I, I hang curveballs just like everybody else. Whew. And I'm sure there have been a few where I, I, I was just flat out wrong. And, I, and maybe in the course of this conversation, I'll be able to think <laughs> yeah. of one. It makes it sound like, well, I've done that. But uh, I, it has happened. And the best you can do is, is apologize 
and move on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We all make mistakes, obviously, in our careers. But when you make mistakes, and even when you believe that you're telling the truth, you're being honest, you're calling them like you see them, there's no shortage of people who are ready to tell you that you were wrong. Well, especially in the age of social media. Right. It's, it's really wonderful every morning waking up to, to uh, Twitter and Facebook telling me what a jerk I am. I've stopped reading Twitter pretty much. I, Have you? I post only rarely and I never read the comments because it's not a it's not a forum that I especially appreciate. Yeah. And I get it on Facebook too and that and that's fine. Uh, you, you develop a really thick skin really quickly doing yeah, what I yeah. do. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you must. So, so... On the topic of social media, it's interesting. You and I are Facebook friends, and I get a kick out of how many people tell you to stick to sports yeah. when you post on politics. And <laughs> people don't say, Jane, stick to cutting hair, or Bob, stick to accounting. Mm-hmm. But they're very quick to say, you know, stick to writing about sports, like, like you are this one-dimensional person right. who isn't allowed to have an opinion outside of sports. Why do you think you get that reaction? I don't know. Maybe because I work in the toy department of uh, of the newspaper, uh, I, I've asked myself that a lot. I do a a blog four times a week, the Morning Line on Cincinnati dot com, and I started. I was I think it was the first one at the paper to start the blog back in February of '06. But anyway, it's kind of evolved to to something that that is mostly about sports most of the time. But it's because it's my blog. I write about stuff that I want that I'm interested in, and I'm not always always interested in in, in what, what do you think how the Reds are going to do this year? You know, I, I have no idea. If I knew that, I'd go to Las Vegas now. But so I, I write about movies. I write about drinking beer, smoking cigars, television, hanging out with my family, road trips, music, and occasionally politics. And people tell me to stick to sports, and I, when I write back, I, I ask them what they do. Right. What do you do? Somebody said, well, you know, I, I sell insurance. Well, why don't you stick to that? Yeah, exactly. I don't, I don't understand why being a sports writer eliminates me from having political opinions. Exactly, yes. And I don't express them very often, believe it or not, uh, especially in, in a sports-like forum like that. But um, I have them. Everybody does, and everybody's entitled to his yep. or her opinion. To share them or right. not. And that's that's an individual decision. That's Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's so interesting to me to read that because I think – some of the people I know, I'm like, wow, you know. I, I mm. so if you have a visible position writing about something that isn't politics, equals shut up. <laughs> you yeah, know, you're and not stick smart to your enough heading. to understand exactly. the complexities of, of the uh, situation. Drives me yeah. crazy. Yes, um, you know, you in your one of the bios I read on you online said, "I'm a nationally acclaimed sports columnist and activist for people with disabilities." When did you truly embrace that and? That tag is activists for people with disabilities. I didn't really embrace it. It was kind of bestowed. Okay. I mean, in, in the course of, of writing the book on Jillian and especially in, in promoting it, going around the country and speaking to various groups, organizations, um, it kind of just became a part of me. I'm not by, by nature an activist. I'm not, I, I'm, I, I often tell people I'm judgmental only in print. Really, I'm one of the least judgmental people you'll ever meet, except when it comes to my job. I'm able to separate the two. So I, I but it just sort of evolved. You, you speak at the national Down syndrome uh, conventions. You have a national audience, and they say you're good at this. Keep doing it. You know, fight the good fight. And and honestly, it helped me promote the book. We sold a lot of books. 
because of my quote-unquote activism. So it kind of just evolved in in that fashion. And when when, when you live with someone... When, when that someone is a member of your immediate family, you understand what's going on. Uh, and when you see opinions that don't really reflect what's going on, I'm naturally that way anyway because of my job and my nature. Uh, I react. I mean, there was a, a Washington Post column maybe a year and a half ago that somebody has just recently resurrected, and we we're going through this all again, uh, where the, the columnist suggested that what... Uh, was Iceland was doing is a great idea, which is essentially eugenics. If, if you're diagnosed with a child with a disability when you're pregnant, you're, it's great. You should just go right ahead and, and abort that child. And uh, the, the columnist didn't have any children with Down syndrome, didn't really know anybody that had children or relatives with Down syndrome. It just, it, it, was not, it was not the right thing. So I spoke out on that. And I still react to various things. Betsy DeVos pisses me off because of the way she, she deals with, with um, people with disabilities and education. Um, so it, I, I, long answer, short question. It, it just kind of evolved and I didn't ask for it and it just sort of got thrust upon me. When you're speaking on this topic or writing on this topic, do people ever tell you to stick to sports? On this particular mm-hmm. topic, no. no. Thank okay. goodness. I, I don't know what I yeah. would do if they exactly. Did. Yeah, we, we yeah, don't want to see. Yeah, it wouldn't be fun. So your ability to assemble letters into words, you use it differently. I mean, this way, that's that's your gift. Now you said you said you know you, um, Jillian is born. Your wife Carrie is committed, her life and her efforts, and and really feels like she came to this moment to be Jillian's mom and to advocate for. You said work defined me. I couldn't imagine forsaking my career to raise a child. As I read this book, I thought, you know what? You didn't forsake your career, but you expanded your career in how you use your gifts. And you were so involved in raising this child. And some of my favorite moments where I really sort of went from crying to ugly crying were those father-daughter moments that really are or should be happening in every household regardless if the child is typical or not. Those were the most beautiful moments. And so, you know, work defined me. And the word defined is used in past tense there. Has how you look at work in your life changed? In other words, would you still say that work defines you? No. No. Um, That's a really good question. Um, as we get older, our priorities change. Our way of looking at, at the world changes. We realize that life is much more gray than black and white. Um, but on the other hand, when you're younger, you really that's when you really need to establish your career and establish your name and, and, and get that stuff going. And that does take a lot of time. And if you have any kind of ambition at all, it's you have to put other things second uh, it sounds crazy and selfish and maybe it is um but that was when i was in my 20s and 30s and and we still had money to travel in a newspaper business and i was going to every big event in the world and you know I, i'd be home for a week and out for a week home for a week out for a week you know um and praise to carrie for putting it all together she's the brains behind the operation i just wrote the book um <laughs> <clears throat> sure, I've changed a lot, and especially recently, Julie. My 
my dad died last September, and my mother is on the fringes of hospice now. Um, and when you when, when your people closest to you start passing away, you start thinking about things a whole lot differently. Um, what what time have I got left? What's the best way to use it? I'm not guaranteed anything except today. All the cliches, and they're all true. Uh, and I've done a lot of thinking about, do I, I mean, the, the old cliche is no, nobody sat on their deathbed saying, oh, man, I wish I'd spent another day at the office. Um, but that stuff really adjusts your thinking. And as did Jillian's birth. Obviously, being a child with a disability, she required a little bit more attention than a typical quote-unquote child. Uh, but from that attention, you get so much out of it. Um, the chapter in the book about her learning to ride the bike. Mm-hmm. Um, it took Jillian a couple months to learn how to ride a two-wheel bicycle, where you and I took a, an afternoon, right? But because of the time and effort that we put in so she could ride a two-wheel bike, when she finally did it, it was like the greatest thing in the world because we had worked so hard to get through this. And there she went, right down the lane. And, and so in that, in that respect, the, 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 the work is harder with, particular, with kids with disabilities, but the reward seems to be greater. Yeah. You know, one of the, um, I had my highlighter out, you know, highlighting like phrases that I loved and that I wanted to remember and revisit. And one of them actually comes from your experience teaching her to ride the bike, where we all remember teaching our kids and we have one hand on the back of their bike and we're steadying them. And she said, dad, do you have me? And you said or thought, I will always have you. Mm -hmm. I said that to her. Yeah. Yeah. And that is uh, for every parent. Um, She took it as, okay, I'm good. But for every parent, you know, that, that, um, that resonates. You know, I think sometimes when our kids are little, we're thinking, how many years till they're 18? How many years till they're 22? But it never ends. And, you know, that's okay. Well, it's a great lesson in the book that, that, I write about a lot, and I always think about now, and I put to pra- put into practice. Slow down. Yeah, we had no choice with Jillian but to slow down. Yes, and when you slow down, you you see things that you missed before. You you uh, you savor the little victories. Yeah, that you just assume with your typical children. Yeah, Jillian tied her shoes for the first time. You know, Jillian spelled a two or three syllable word for the first time. Uh, all this stuff. If you have typical children. That's great. What's next? Exactly right. W- well, with Jillian yeah. and her and kids like her, you have to savor it. You work so hard to get there. One, one, you might as well savor it. But two, it slows everything. Slows down, and it's not just on to the next. Next, it's hey, this is really great. Let's just yeah. simmer down for thirty seconds and enjoy this moment. Let's be in this moment right now. And that, that was a great lesson that that she taught us. Yeah, you know the um. It, it's it, and I'll, I will quote you here: "Time to linger, time to savor, to remember why we came, to remember the little wins. If we are too busy to tend to those, we lose the foundation for our larger successes." Now, twenty-five-year-old Paul Doherty wouldn't have said that. No, twenty-five-year-old Paul <laughs> Doherty would say, "I have a plane to catch." Yeah, 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 and that's that—that's the beauty of evolving as humans and in our career. Um, and and another one of my favorite lines: "We're joined by situation and geography and happenstance." What we do with the connections that occur define who we become. And your story about meeting uh, Ryan's mm. parents, 
who are obviously lovely lights in the world, um, meeting Ryan, meeting them, having them live so close by. You were joined by situation, geography, and to some extent, happenstance. And what you did with those connections, um, you know, those obviously became some of your good friends because you had so much in common. You had a shared language, shared experience. And then Ryan, oh my gosh. I mean, I, I remember just from reading your columns before you even wrote the book, the estimable, estimable? Is that the it? estimable rhyme of Ripples. Yes. I always think of that phrase. <laughs> um, and should we, I mean, uh, uh, would we all be called estimable? I love that. I mean, to be called that is, to me, such a, such a high compliment, yeah. especially for a dad and his daughter who, you know, we're naturally suspicious of yeah, those I've boys always. who come sniffing around, yeah. aren't we? Yeah. yeah. So your mom, um, you talk about this in the book, your mom died by suicide when you were six. Eight. Eight. Okay. How, and and your dad remarried to a wonderful woman who yep. you just referenced as is on the edge of hospice care. When you think back on that, what lessons did you bring forward from that and how you've parented your kids? Uh, I don't know how many lessons you, you can draw from uh, losing a parent that way, Julie. I, I don't... You know, I, I one I one I was young, really young, and I didn't really understand what was going on. All, all I really knew was that one day my mother was there, and the next day she was not. And I, I, I try to explain the concept of suicide to an eight-year-old. You know, mm-hmm. good luck with that. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know what last thing i've taken from that and it, it probably isn't great you know don't trust life don't mm-hmm. you know don't embrace it it's cruel it's this uh, I, and i i haven't done a lot of that so that's a great question and i wish i could give you a better yeah, answer but yeah. I, I don't think i got anything beneficial from my mom killing herself when i was eight years old yeah i don't know who would Right, right. But just, you know, and maybe it is, um, maybe it did, maybe that ability and need to linger and savor. Um, yeah. Maybe and the notion, maybe the notion that people leave, that nothing's, yeah. nothing's permanent, you know? Yeah, yeah. People leave, things change, uh, don't don't grasp too tightly to anything. Although, again, I'm, I'm really not that way either, so... Mm-hmm. Well, Jillian certainly has taught you. Jillian didn't give you a choice to be that way or not. Her right. presence forced you to cling and hold and be there and yeah. hang out to the back of her bike, you know, metaphorically, right? And, you know, and literally and figuratively. Yeah. So, so you you write in this book of your journey to have her treated as much as a typical kid as possible, and that really infuses her whole education experience. Mm-hmm. From preschool, kindergarten through college. And what a struggle. But when you read it, especially if you don't have kids that are in that that you know have Down syndrome or, or another issue, it, it, I read it and I'm like, well, duh. You know, why wouldn't we set our education system up? But you fought against or you hit your head against the almighty dollar and budgets and all the stuff that that keeps us from getting everything we want for our kids, even though the law says you're supposed to have it, um, that I, I really felt that all the way through, that 
What a shame. And your, your quote, this is- issue isn't only about kids with disabilities. It's about how perceptions limit or expand potential. How many of our citizens have been denied the chance to shine? How much light did the rest of us miss because of it? That is well beyond just kids with disabilities. I mean, we could mention sure. several groups of marginalized citizens and um, groups. And But man, what an amount of energy, time, and resources to fight for for your child. And that just must have been just, it, I felt your frustration. I felt your anger. Um, and just Carrie was just, you know, she had her hand on the back of your bike the whole time too, as you went through this together. Yeah. I, I, one of my favorite expressions, one that when I sign books, I write in inside the book is see, don't look. Yeah. There's such a monumental difference between the two. Seeing is is active, empathetic, and engaged. Looking is lazy and judgmental. Right. And the whole deal with Jillian w- was to get people to see her and not look at her. Um, we don't define our typical children by what they look like or what they speak like. We don't really define them at all. We allow them to define themselves. The whole thing with with raising Jillian was centered on the notion that we want people to see her, not look at her, and we want her to be able to define herself, same as any other kid. That was it. It's pretty simple, but pretty pretty hard to do. When you're going through something like this and you're pushing for what you want for your kid, you do find out who your friends and advocates are pretty quickly. Oh, oh, who who roots for us and who doesn't? Um, Who your real friends are. Who are the people who... I I will be honest with you. We never lost a friendship because of how that person or persons viewed Jillian. Good. I'm glad you um, The ironic thing is we, we lost a few friendships within the Down syndrome community because they were parents who didn't, for lack of a better word, push their kids the way we pushed Jillian. They had a different idea, a different vision of what they wanted their, for their child, and it didn't match up with ours and so they Jillian and and those friends drifted apart and as a result the parents drifted apart but um no we never I I, there was never any bullying of Jillian at school we never had any issues with that um she was able to transcend all the nonsense and as much as possible become a part of the of the main I mean I tell the story of her being on the junior varsity dance team in high school and how originally when we well, when she proposed it, not not Carrie and I, uh, the the coach was, oh yeah, we we can use somebody to cue our music, and we said no, that's not the idea, you know, she's not there to cue the music. She's going to be on the dance team if she's good enough. She's not, that's fine, but she's going to get the opportunity. Um, so I, I think it, you know people like to tell me and Carrie how great we did with raising her. Maybe we did. Uh, I, I think Jillian carried the baton. We could not have done and asked for, demanded the stuff that we did had she not been able to fulfill our expectations. And she always did. Yeah. It's kind of a chicken and an egg, you know, was oh, she yeah. able to fulfill them because you set that bar high? Um, yeah. Yeah. But, but, but I, I mean, definitely, if if we had asked for all this stuff and, and gotten it and Jillian had not taken it and run with it, we would have had no reason to keep asking. Right, 
Exactly. You let you her know. kind of set the pace. Yeah. And I mean, I laughed as often as I cried in <laughs> your book because she's so damn funny. She is funny, mostly unintentionally. Yeah. Well, you know, those are the best. I mean, yeah. those are, you know, those are, those are the best people. I, like I said, everybody ought to read this book. Um, how has being Jillian's dad affected your sports writing? I mean, I guess I could sit here and say, yeah, I'm more, I'm more understanding of people from different backgrounds. and, and But I, I like to think that I've always at least tried to be that way. You know, walk a mile in their shoes, for example. I, I've been much better at that as I've gotten older, the whole, you know, gray thing, not black and white. Um, I think she nudged that along. Um, you just be, When you have a, a child with a disability, you're just more aware of, of the need to, if not be sensitive, at least aware that, you know, these are people too. And to they see, deserve, not look? They, huh? To see, not look? Yes. They deserve our respect as, as much as anyone else until they prove otherwise. Um, so I think that's impacted my writing. I mean, you, I deal with um, a lot of obviously African-American guys, a lot of Latinos. Uh, I think I have learned over the years that, that especially with the, 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 the Latin guys, they, they were raised differently. They grew up in a whole different place than, than, than I did, you know, oftentimes not in the greatest of situations. So you, 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 you just have to, you can't just say they're baseball players, therefore. It's like, well, you know, a great example is with a guy like Yasiel Puig uh, grew up in, in Cuba, not really being able to express himself all that much. And now that he's not there anymore, he loves to express himself. <laughs> yeah, he does. And that's great. I mean, people say, what a showboat and what this, what that. Well, if, you know, maybe if you grew up under Fidel Castro and had to look look over your shoulder every time you ran at a corner, maybe you'd, you'd go crazy too yeah. when, when you got to a place where being able to be yourself was okay. Yeah. So I, that's just one example. Good. No, but, that's that's actually great. That's a great example. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I I don't want to I don't want to not mention Kelly, your son. <laughs> um, I mean, what 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 strikes me is what a wonderful father and husband he will likely be. Uh, well, I, I I hope so. I mean, I mean, just having grown up with Jillian, um, even though he's based on your accounts, so quiet, much more quiet. Um, um, just sort of his quiet knowing of stuff, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, yeah. um, I'd agree I think with that. that's all. I think it's so hard when they're teenagers, especially when they're being difficult teenagers. And your stories about your trips to the mountains of North Carolina. Yeah, we're you know, going next week. Okay, like entire weekends with thirty words, and the fact that you hung in there and kept going. I think that's 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 so hard. Um, to keep doing things that you're not sure if they're paying attention or listening. It's it, unfortunately it's only when they're older that you start to see the results of that, and um, it's it's you get one chance. You know, so I love to see that you're you're still doing that. Now, is he? He had a girlfriend in the book. Is he? Same one. Same one. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. My, mom wants to know when they're getting married. She okay. wants to be a grandmother. <laughs> She's. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Kids love it when you ask them that. Yeah, they, they, he really likes that kind of pressure put on him. Yeah, yeah. Um, what? Um, wh- how would you answer the following question? I'm at my best when. When I'm when I'm 
passionate and focused on something. And that can be sports or anything? Anything. What's a low point in your career? Oh, man, I've never had anybody ask me that. Um, low point. I, I haven't really had any. Maybe great? it's coming. I, yeah, thanks. <laughs> we don't well, I don't have much time to go, so <laughs> hopefully... Uh, Hang in there, yeah. Low point of my... Um, well, I, I've had uh, a couple of book projects fall through. One in particular in, in which I'd invested quite a bit of time, and it was a great project, and I had a great agent who was going to sell it for me, and uh, I had already written the proposal, and it was the best proposal I'd ever written, and for various reasons, it, it didn't come to fruition. I haven't had any disappointments really in my newspaper life, book writing life. I've had a few, and that was the biggest. Yeah, my my favorite columns recently was the one about the um, young lady golfer with Down syndrome mm-hmm. playing with who'd she play with? The uh, um, uh, she played with the Woodland Gary Woodland, yeah. the U.S. Open yeah. champion. Yeah. yeah, that was to me. I read that. And I'm like, man, that's bringing together all the stuff you care about into one place. Yeah, and she was great. She yeah. beat me. Don't tell anybody. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. I'm glad to hear that. So I end every interview with two questions, one shallow and one deep. Are you ready to play one shallow and one deep? Sure. All right. What's your weirdest pet peeve? I, I, I'm The older I get, the less tolerance I have for inconsiderate people in any way, shape, or form. Anybody who, who thinks only of themselves in a situation and, and not of anybody else. So you're less willing to be tolerant of a self-centered person than you have been in the past? It gets worse every year. Okay, worse. the closer I edge toward get off of my lawn, I was guy. Can I say that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm I getting know. there too. I'm good at it. I tell people, I said, when you hit your fifties, I'm telling you, there's such freedom and liberation. Yeah. But you definitely get crankier. And you're well, definitely. I've, I've all, yeah. My wife would tell you I've all, I've been cranky my entire life, and she's probably right. But I'm yeah, I'm I'm getting worse, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah so um, okay. Next question. What's it mean to have a good life? What's it mean to have a good life? Um, to 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 be the best you can be for yourself and for others. That's good? great. I think if we all focused on that, the world would be a better place. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Highly recommend your book, An Uncomplicated Life, A Father's Memoir of His Exceptional Daughter, available on Amazon, which is where I got it. I love on it Amazon. They, they may have a few copies of like Joseph Beth still hanging around. I don't know. Those are all signed. I signed a million books there. So, Thank you. It was a pleasure. It's a pleasure to read your columns, but I have to say it was even more of a pleasure to read about your lovely daughter. Thank you so very thank much. thank you for your time Julie. today. Appreciate it. If you enjoyed meeting the evolved careerist on today's episode, well, we've got a lot more lined up for you. Subscribe, tell your friends, rate us and write a review. And of course, follow us on social media. But if you're interested in learning more about how you can evolve your career, can contact us through theevolvedcareer.com or thebaukegroup.com, and that's B-A-U-K-E. Do you know somebody who'd be a great guest, who has a great career story to tell, or do you think you qualify? Then email me. My email address is in the podcast description. Until next time, here's to your career happiness.